will kneel in, we will sit in until we can eat in any counter in the United States. We will walk until we are free, until we can walk to any school and take our children to any school in the United States. And we will sit in and we will kneel in and we will lie in if necessary until every Negro in America can vote. This we pledge to the women of America. Welcome to 10 Minutes on Democracy. Those stirring words were spoken by Josephine Baker, the only woman to speak at the March on Washington, as she reflected on the commitment of women to the civil rights movement. I'm Jason Franklin, Senior Advisor at One for Democracy, and today is Tuesday, February 1st, the first day of Black History Month. Moving from 1963 today, let's talk about how schools are engaging with Black History Month under new restrictions about how they can teach about race. We'll also talk about the brewing Supreme Court nomination battle arising from Justice Breyer's retirement, range of developments and reports emerging out of Trump world, and we'll take a moment to pull back and think about some of the big trends impacting our political trajectory from jobs growth and COVID shifts to a possible Russian invasion of Ukraine. But first, as we're on the beginning of Black History Month, it's really a moment to reflect about how this debate on critical race theory, which is not even being taught in elementary or secondary schools, is playing out in education today. Since last year, 14 states have imposed some restrictions through legislation, executive action, or commission votes on how teachers can teach about race in this country. 35 states total, so another 19 on top of the 14 who have imposed restrictions, another 19 have introduced bills or taken other steps to restrict teaching critical race theory, a concept that focuses on the legacy of systemic racism in our country, or more broadly limiting how teachers can discuss racism and sexism. That is now presenting a new challenge as we enter Black History Month. Elementary school teachers, administrators, college professors have been facing fines, threats of violence, fear of firing, and even death threats as they figure out how to talk about our legacy of racism in this country. How do we talk about slavery? How do we talk about the civil rights movement? How do we talk about the dynamics of race in the United States, where it has been and where we are going? when we are passing restrictions on what can be taught in school. How that continues to play out over the coming weeks and coming months will both define our students and our youth's understanding of race, but also the dynamics of the political contest that we look at right now for the midterms and in the coming years. Another big development that will impact the future of our democracy is the announcement from Justice Stephen Breyer that he will be retiring from the US Supreme Court. Biden very notably campaigned on a promise that if he was presented with the opportunity to nominate a justice of the Supreme Court, he would be the first to nominate a black woman. He has now, since Breyer's announcement, come out and said he will do that. He will nominate a black woman to the court. And of course, he only needs 50 votes 
all 50 Democratic senators plus Kamala Harris as the tie-breaking vote to be able to live up to that commitment. A lot of conversation also around Senator Collins, Murkowski, maybe even Lindsey Graham of whether any of them might side with Democrats to support that nomination. Remains to be seen that they've all voted in the past to support nominations and been the three least partisan of the Republican caucus, but whether that's still possible today is really a question mark. There have been a whole set of names circulating anywhere from three to 10 really prominent black women jurists, prosecutors, district attorneys who could be considered for that nomination as kind of front runners, Biden is sitting down with leaders of the Senate Judiciary Committee this week to talk through the nominations and has said he expects to submit a nomination within the next month. This is likely going to be moving fast to try to move this nomination before the midterm elections. And the, really the big question will be, is this going to be a fait accompli? A nominee is picked, the caucus comes together, they do all the steps that are required for the hearings, but the vote is not in question. Or will there be another divisive big battle, either to keep all 50 Democrats in alignment or to overcome Republican opposition? Expect a lot of political theater. I have every expectation we'll be talking a lot about this in the coming couple of months. But whether it's a political theater or a true political fight is really the question that everyone's waiting to see. We're also seeing statements coming out of Trump world and reports that are worth noting about the impact on democracy. Biggest one on Sunday, Trump released a statement that as a bipartisan group of lawmakers are working to reform the Electoral Count Act, that's the act that governs how the Electoral College is managed. What Trump says, quote, unfortunately, he didn't exercise that power. He could have overturned the election, as Trump is saying that Pence could have changed the course of the election. White House responding that Trump's assertion that Trump could have overturned the election shows how unfit he is to be president. A real debate around the fact that he literally came out and said, overturned the election, not changed the course of it, not done something different with it, but overturned the election. Expect that to be a, a rallying cry again in the coming months as we talk about the dynamics of election reform. Trump also said that he might pardon all of those who are involved in the January 6th insurrection if he were reelected. And there's been a lot of conversation around how do we have safe voting. Um, new reports showing that 20 to 30 different Republicans who are all disputing Biden's election victory are running for state and local posts to oversee elections across the country. People who are saying that they would have changed the election process if they'd been in power are now running to manage the election process. Uh, if we don't have a stronger example of the challenges facing our democracy, I don't know how we can find them. Beyond that, this last week, and we're looking at, it's really been a, a quiet week in terms of new big developments on democracy. Instead, we're seeing big developments that will impact the course of our politics and therefore our democracy. Probably the biggest one to look at is what's happening in Ukraine. Um, you've got a actually growing bipartisan set of senators who are reaching a close to reaching a deal by all reports on a very intensive set of sanctions against Russia as they have 100,000 troops uh, that remain stationed at the Ukrainian border. One of the big shifts in those sanctions is that they would be targeting both Russian banks and sovereign debt, but also, quote, a list of oligarchs close to the Kremlin who will be hit with sanctions and 
from a democracy standpoint, may cut off their ability to funnel money into Western democracies. There's been several recent studies that show that this illicit money has actually undermined democracy and potentially putting in place these sanctions could help stabilize the democratic systems in the U.S. and in the U.K. Kremlin has come out very strongly against that, threatening that that will move money to Hong Kong or Zurich or Switzerland instead. You saw that really come to light and out in the public yesterday when the U.S. Security Council met for the first time since Russia's troop buildup. The U.S. really pushed to have this emergency meeting because yesterday was the last day that Norway served as president of the U.N. Security Council. They have a rotating presidency and Russia takes over today as its president of the Security Council for the next month. So what can be done within the U.N. with Russia in the presidency of the Security Council is really limited. Lots of attempts to de-escalate the situation through negotiations. Negotiations are continuing. Expect a lot of public grandstanding, but really a question of where will this land? You know, Biden's popularity number started to tank after his withdrawal from Afghanistan was so mishandled. How his engagement and the administration's engagement in Ukraine could have a reorientation of his popularity or not. And that would have huge impacts on the midterm elections. The other things that we're looking at, job growth numbers are probably going to turn negative for the first time since Biden took office. You know, the vast numbers of Americans missed work due to Omicron, and that's going to drag down the January numbers for the first time. The White House is already trying to get out ahead of it and say, this is a blip. This is part of the ongoing dynamic. But expect a lot of people to have more doom and gloom as they talk about Biden's prospects. And then, of course, the question, will that change? Will February, March, April be better? And then a dip in January becomes a historical point of fact rather than something that's a defining turning point. Last thing I'd mention is the new data that's coming out from the Kaiser Family Foundation about vaccination and party affiliation. There are actually more unvaccinated Republican adults than Republican adults who've received the vaccine and the booster. 36% of Republican adults are unvaccinated, 30% have been vaccinated but no booster, and 32% have had the booster. That's compared to Democrats where 62% have had vaccine and booster and 29% have been vaccinated but not yet boosted. Only 9% of Democrats are unvaccinated. Independents fall right in between those two. And what you're really kind of looking at is this question of how will COVID and vaccination impact the elections? You know, Trump is dancing on the praise the vaccine, oppose the mandate, trying to walk this line between as the Republican kind of alliances become more and more anti-vaccine. How that plays out, both in terms of politics and messaging and simply who's healthy enough to vote will be questions to keep our eyes on. But that's the things to look at as we enter into February and the dynamics of democracy here in our country. I'm Jason Franklin. Look forward to talking with you again next week for 10 Minutes on Democracy. Take care. <laughs>